Welcome back to another episode of Our Concrete Garden, a four-part series hoping to plant some seeds about why urban green spaces are so important for uniting our communities. I'm your host, Rawson. In the last episode, we talked about why people liked plants. The commonly accepted short answer is that it's a nice distraction from all those stressful feelings we endure every day. Looking at plants and plant-like things relaxes us. And if you're able to get out there and garden for yourself, that's even better since you're physically engaging with a hobby. But what do you do if you don't have enough green in your wallet to afford some plants? Here in Toronto, chances are you either live in the 25th floor of a glass condo or underground in a windowless cement basement. What do you do then? It's the age-old question that stood long before the stay-at-home order, and will stick around long after as well. The COVID-19 shutdown really highlighted how important plants are for those of us who didn't have access to them. How do we take all those lovely benefits of nature and apply it to a larger scale? On this episode of Our Concrete Garden, we'll be looking at one method of bringing the plants back to the people, community gardens. To set things off, let's talk about what a community garden actually is. We've always been gardening and farming for food, but for our sake, we'll define community gardens as any communal plant growing plot used by a variety of people, not for the explicit purpose of monetary gain. So the plot can be any size, in a rural or urban area, grow edible or inedible plants, and its user base can be based on patronage like at a community center or something geographical like a neighborhood. Sometimes a portion of goods can be sold to make money, but the emphasis on community gardens typically is to improve food access, learn how to garden, or for socialization. A lot of research that's documented about community gardens are typically conducted by British or American researchers, though I really wouldn't be surprised if others, particularly indigenous groups, were doing this long before them. The average Google search will cite this style of shared allotment gardening back to Britain in the 17th century in response to the Civil War. Other instances would occur usually in response to other major shakeups and crises throughout England's history. This idea wouldn't really take off until the implementation of war gardening in World War I, where English, American, and Canadian groups all made strides to grow their own food at home. By the time World War II came around, we had already been around that block and this local agricultural movement was rebranded as Victory Gardens. Though, that iteration mostly took place individually on private property, like someone's front yard, or anywhere where there was space. Despite this distinction, Victory Gardens are commonly cited as one of the biggest and oldest inspirations for community gardens that academics like to point to. There are a lot of objective benefits to having community gardens, the first one, of course, being if you're actually going to grow food there. Suddenly, you have an increased access to fruits and vegetables to be used in your diet. Adding on to that, just being outside and doing things that come with gardening is a good source of physical activity, like we went over last episode. Carrying the watering can, walking around, getting in the dirt, all of those actions add up over time. And soon enough, you'll be growing your plants as well as your muscles too. The skills you can learn here can also be applied elsewhere, whether that involves mentoring others or taking up employment related to gardening. 
there's a lot of personal gain to come from gardening, but it goes beyond that as well. Having a space to get healthful foods for yourself is not only beneficial on an individual scale, but for keeping the community food secure by having this new communal food resource. Because let's be honest, even when you do have a garden, eventually it gets to the point where it's just too much for one person to eat on their own. So you might as well share it with your neighbors, friends, or family. When you become regularly engaged with public gardening, you can also potentially gain a greater sense of spatial awareness and safety for your neighborhood as well, if you're able to become more familiar with this space. Having more plants also adds to the beautification of areas, which can eventually grow into a local attraction if you can capitalize on the public interest. For those who are engaged in gardening, you're already being brought into a space through this mutual hobby of growing plants. Having a community hobby together can be a great point of socialization to develop some potential friendships with your fellow gardeners. In some observed studies, gardeners noted in having a sharing attitude together. Not only would they share foods together, but they would also share growing information, tips, and trade favors of physical labor too to help each other out. When gardeners get this increased sense of self-accomplishment through the success of their growing, it can also translate into other leadership opportunities too, where they can eventually undertake mentoring of other gardeners or even to the community in facilitating workshops. Researchers Laura Saldivar and Marianne Krasny also found that in New York City, the Latino community gardens became not only great sites for informal hangouts, but also acted as a small venue for celebrations, parties, holidays, or even other cultural activities like singing and dance performances. These were participated in not only by other Latino community members, but with the greater public as well. In another study done by Heather Akvat and Alex Zotra, they also suggest that by establishing stronger social networks at community gardens, gardeners are more likely to partake in community engagement and organizing projects within their neighborhoods. And the work doesn't just stop at their communities. Learning more about planting also made gardeners more likely to be involved in social issues relating to agriculture, climate change, and the natural environment since they've now developed their own personal connection to the land and nature. And really, it just comes with the territory of learning how to garden. Not only are you developing skills and techniques about how to physically do it, but you're also trying to understand how food is actually being produced. When living in big urban spaces, sometimes the only way we can get our foods is through some mega supermarkets that are well lit, indoors, and featuring absolutely perfect, identical-looking foods. But that really disconnects us from the entire agricultural process that happens behind the curtain. When it's nice and conveniently there, sometimes people don't really understand the work that goes into farming, which is often done by racialized migrant workers and unethical labor conditions. And that's not even the end of it, because we gotta talk about food miles too which is a term used in reference to how these foods that are being grown in faraway places then have to make a giant trip from their place of origin to your store. So take for example the avocados being grown in California. Not only does that take a ton of water and depletes the Californian soil of nutrients, then the seasonal migrant workers have to come pick them up where it'll then be sent by truck or train or a combination of methods so it can go all the way to the supermarket. 
from the end of California all the way up to Toronto, and it's got to get there pretty fast too so it doesn't spoil. You can imagine just the sheer amount of greenhouse gases being released and the energy that goes into that. Land travel via trains and trucks are a lot more common, but when we start to talk about ships and air freight, then the energy expenditure just shoots up higher. Let's not forget too, that that's just one shipment of one item too. We're gonna sell it, eat it, or chuck it by next week, and it'll all happen again. We can't unload the burden onto the consumer though. We can't just ask low-income households to not buy foods anymore unless it's organic or ethical, when it's a matter of buying the 70 cent per pound bananas or no food period. But it's just one additional benefit to growing food in community gardens. It's more likely to be done ethically, and it reduces the amount of imported food being bought in through the agricultural system. And instead, you get all these nice plants right here. Okay, so I know I've been talking about only the benefits that come from community gardening, but let's be real, there's a lot of problems that can come as well. Let's travel to a nice little community garden that's being hosted in the back of an apartment building's lot. First, who owns the land anyways? Indigenous people were the original caretakers until the colonizers took it, and then hundreds of years later the city has its hands on property. But maybe there's a utility company's pipes or wires underground, so you'll have to talk to them before you start digging and planting. But it's on the property of the rental management group, so it belongs to them too. Okay, that's kind of confusing, but who's running it at least? Well, there's the building's landscaping team who manages it, but you'll have to get to them through the concierge. And Laura on the fifth floor has the keys to the fence, but she works 9 to 5, so you'll have to ask her to unlock it for you after 6pm only. Eventually, you start gardening there, but you get kind of annoyed about all the infighting and cattiness from the other gardeners there. You think about joining one of the nicer community gardens that's in the park, but you'll have to pay either $200 a year for a paid plot, or join the 5 year long waitlist to get a free plot. Eventually, you finally get to speak to the head coordinator, and you get the impression that you're not actually the type of person they were looking for in their garden community. Instead, they recommend you apply to the one closer to the rougher end of town, where you've heard that people from the public were stealing tomatoes as well as the tools in the shed over there. Long story short, it's not always good at the community gardens. They're still susceptible to problems of bureaucracy and exclusionary actions by bad actors. But we shouldn't discount what good they can provide. After all, that was just one fictional scenario, but let's talk about the real deal. Our guest this episode can tell you firsthand how important these public growing spaces can be for a community. All right, Tirza, thank you so much for joining me today. I know that you're a community garden coordinator here in the city. If you could just describe yourself and talk about what your role is like. For sure. So thank you so much for having me. My name is Tirza. I am a food security and engagement coordinator with a nonprofit in the city of Toronto. So part of that is running community gardens and dealing with all of that with the community gardeners and green spaces. With my background, I went to school for global health 
specializing in health promotion and disease prevention. Within that, I had a previous knowledge of nutrition. I really wanted to get into that. So with my global health background, I found food insecurity and really realized that, you know, eating healthy and, and being healthy in general doesn't have to just do with what we eat. It's our social economic factors, who we are, our background. So I kind of went into the food insecurity route that way. And with that, found love for gardening, community gardeners, and just really having that community engagement piece. And yeah, I feel like with work, I really feel like passion and having that point to what you do really drives your work. And I've found that within running community gardens and with my food security field, and I'm just really enjoying it so far and learning lots. So awesome to hear, especially coming from your background that's very like multifaceted in different areas. I was wondering if you could talk about what elements go into a successful community project like one of these. So for a successful community project in general, it really has to do with getting all stakeholders involved, mainly starting with community. Um, no one knows the background of a community like the community itself and the surrounding agencies that have helped support it. Um, so starting with a community garden, really talking to the community about why they want a community garden, what they want to plant there, the infrastructure, or they, how they want it to run. Do they want it to be, you know, community run or run by the agency and having community support? So really having those pieces together um, and other green spaces too, just really having a shared vision between the community and stakeholders and going forward that way. So some things that we've been talking about going into this episode is how food and planting usually is the start of kind of the community movement, but it never really kind of ends there. So I was wondering if you could talk about how you've seen people come together over food or planting. For sure. So food in general, honestly, really connects us all. It's all part of who we are, how we grew up, our cultures, our families. I know myself personally, all my favorite meals that I have are things that I have, you know, memories with or something that my family cooked for me, my grandma cooked for me. So it really ties into who we are. So obviously people connect over that. We share recipes. Uh, we share things that we grow, like in community gardens. I've seen community members, you know, connect and build relationships over what they're growing or their specific gardening methods. And with gardening especially, I feel like there is so much more to learn, even though we know a lot, uh, you know, how certain plants grow well together, about soil health, about seed preservation, food preservation in general. There's just so many aspects that we can learn to gardening. So with that generational knowledge sharing in community gardens and between food, I just think is really important for not only, you know, building connections, but having that community support as well. Yeah. And just a little bit off the record, but in your opinion, uh, it seems to be the case that when gardeners do come together, like over the theme of gardening, a lot of the research suggested that, you know, people share things like you're saying, uh, despite never meeting each other, despite things like language barriers or skill gaps. Why do you think people are so open to teaching and receiving help when it comes to something like gardening? In my personal opinion, I really think it's the nature aspect. I feel like there's something about it that just really brings us together and humbles us, honestly. Um, and I feel like, you know, in a public space such as community garden, everyone is going there for the same reason. And that kind of builds a sense of community. So knowing that everyone's going in to grow stuff, grow stuff that they love, kind of, I feel like opens each other up and has that open space 
to be able to talk to each other and to be able to share things, share food, share growing methods. And yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. We've also been talking about how when people come together, it can create this very idyllic, very uh, peaceful kind of gathering space together. But uh, as we know, things are not always that easy and things are not always that nice. What types of pushbacks have you faced when you've been trying to do community organizing or community gardens? And why do you think that they happen? Great question. The main thing that comes to mind when I think about that is, especially with community gardens, is that, you know, a lot of the gardeners are very prideful of their space. They're really intertwined with their space because they put so much time and energy into it. So there is a little bit of pushback with collaboration sometimes because, you know, one person will have one you know, method of doing things or want something a certain way. Um, like, for example, we were building some raised beds in one of our gardens and one person wanted in one area. So really coming together and looking at, you know, both viewpoints and then coming to a combined decision. With community gardens, though, you know, a lot of it comes from funding and getting that government support. You know, we've had a certain issue with one of our gardens and, you know, it get, getting torn down. But this, you know, we didn't know or this organization didn't know the history and the background of this garden. So um, it's really getting everyone on the same page about what that public space or community garden means to everybody. Like I said before, having that shared vision, I think is really important. Um, and allocating duties as well. I feel like with a community garden, sometimes there is that lack of communication between gardeners and the agencies that run it just to make sure that it goes well and it flows well together and everyone's doing their part as it is a community space. Yeah, and you really hit on this point that I found to be very poignant, um, talking about how the community gardens mean things to different people. What do community gardens and community projects like community gardens mean to you as an individual, as a person coordinating it in general? That's a great question. For me, it is really a space for engagement and that relationship building. I feel like COVID-19 has really highlighted this, the need for public space for people to interact and community gardens and green spaces have been such a, a good avenue to do so. Yeah, so it's really just having that space for everyone to collaborate and, and build relationships. I feel like people are very isolated right now. So having a place to Talk to people you normally wouldn't um, and that also provides a space for people to have honest conversations as well because people don't know each other and in open spaces I feel like that opens the floor for some things as well um, but more so the community engagement piece building capacity building relationships with one another beautiful that that really is it I feel like People often look at the products of community gardens like producing food or producing plants. And I feel like maybe the general public never really acknowledges the actual social aspect of it too and being able to see each other face to face. But I wonder if that'll change after COVID and after all the shutdowns and isolation. Um, speaking about kind of being isolated and excluded though, uh, who do you think is missing from the decision-making table when it comes to public space development? Also a great question. I feel like with any public space development, you need a variety of different backgrounds, as many people as you can, like depending on the space getting built, um, you know, different disciplines need to be involved. So for example, a community garden, I feel like obviously number one is community because you know, what they're 
needs and what they, the resources already that are pre-existing will really affect how the garden is built. Um, also, I feel like right now is uh, environmental health and just environmental awareness in general is such an important conversation that's happening right now with climate change. And I feel like a lot of companies and organizations are changing the way they build things, the way they do things to be more sustainable. So I think that's a really big thing that's happening right now. And then also on another side, I think that design is very important. I think that community coming in and really helping design what it would look like and why, or, you know, I've, I've heard this talk and I'm not sure where of like a lot of public spaces are so not colorful. They're not painted in, mm -hmm. in different colors. Like a lot of, you know, hospitals are gray and, you know, colors in our lives really affects us and how we feel. So I feel like having some architecture and design pieces in collaboration with community and having the design pieces that touch on environmental sustainability is super important. Yeah, I'm really glad that you kind of brought that up because when we're kind of talking about community, we're talking about kind of this melding pot of so many perspectives in terms of the participants, but it would only make sense that if those were the planners as well reflected. So that was really awesome. Um, I guess maybe to close it out, would you have any tips or advice if people want to start their own community gardens? Yeah, um, that's the main thing for community gardens and any community projects that happen is advocacy and getting people involved. Um, for starting your own community garden, definitely talk to your local counselor um, and see what supports that they have. Also talk to your community, talk to a local agency that, that's around. For example, um, I work in one community and, and our location in that community community members come in and ask us questions. They ask, you know, how they can start a soccer program or start, you know, their online business and have those supports. So it's having that connection with the community and um, just really using all the assets and research that are present within the area that you're in. Yeah, makes sense. Touch base with the people who are already on the grounds with your ideas and who knows what will happen, right? Yeah. And with community as well. I feel like a lot of projects that actually get put into place, it's having that quote, quote, manpower, having many, many people just having the, the shared vision again, going back to that of what they want and why they need it and having that supportive base to really drive for what you want, like a community garden, you know, for a community garden of food security, having a green space around each other, having that space that, um, especially during COVID, people can gather and have a safe, safe space to interact with each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, thank you so much again, Tirza. Is there anything you'd like to promote on my podcast? Promote? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> um, everyone spay and neuter your dogs and cats. I'm just kidding. No dogs. I, Raz and I have no idea. <laughs> All right. No, that's fine. <laughs> well, thank you again, Tirza, for coming today and sharing some of your expertise. I really appreciate it. And I hope you take care. So maybe the answers were hiding out in plain sight the entire time. When the going gets tough and people seem more divided in the city than ever, will community gardens really be the answer to unify us back together or to ground us city folks back with nature? I'll leave that to people like Tirza to figure out those hard questions while I prepare for the next episode, which will surely be a walk in the park. Next time, we'll be talking about the city's parks and recreation, but until then, I'm your host, Rawson. This is our concrete garden, and I'll catch you later.